Get ready to be inspired by the great things happening in rural education. The Rural Scoop will bring you new ideas and innovative solutions. We'll dive into education issues and we'll highlight what's working in your rural communities. You'll hear from a variety of educators, administrators, professionals, and others who will provide relevant and engaging content in each episode. And now, serving up the scoop, here's your host, Dr. Melissa Seydorf. Thanks for joining us, Rural Scoop listeners, for a conversation that's going to focus specifically on the Arizona Rural Schools Association, which the Rural Scoop is affiliated with. And as you know, I am the president of the Arizona Rural Schools Association, and I'm excited today to have a conversation with our president-elect, Sean Rickert, and Diane Smith, who's our new policy expert. And we're going to have a chance to introduce her to you as members of ARSA and to any of those that are listening outside of the state. So, Sean, I'm going to start with asking you to introduce yourself, and then we'll go from there. Thank you, Melissa. Um, my name is Sean Rickard. Obviously, I am the superintendent of the Pima Unified School District, which is located in Graham County. And I always have to say that because when you say Pima, people think Tucson, and Graham County is nothing like Tucson. Uh, we're out here in the eastern edge uh, of Arizona, uh, located around the Gila Valley, uh, very much a, a cotton, uh, copper, and cattle uh, county here, you know, old Arizona. Um, and I have the opportunity to run uh, a school district with about a little over a thousand students now. We're one of the fastest growing rural districts in the state, uh, which has created a series of challenges as well as opportunities for me here. Uh, but it also is small enough that it gives me the opportunity to, to use my my background in, in political science, which I worked on before I got into education, uh, to, to spend time in the Capitol trying to influence uh, education policy. Uh, now, through those, through those travels back and forth to Phoenix and over the years, uh, I've had the opportunity to work with Diane Smith on, on many different projects. And I'll never forget uh, the first time that I met Diane, we were in Washington, D.C., uh, at a, a policy uh, advocacy conference put on by uh, AASA, the, the National Superintendents Organization, and uh, and after after dinner, uh, it was a beautiful evening. And Diane says, "Gosh, you know, I'd love to go for a walk, but I'm a little nervous about walking around in D.C. after dark by myself." And I said, "Well, then let's go for a walk." And uh, we, you know laced up our sneakers and, and started walking down the mall and we started up at the Capitol and we just, just talked about policy and education and, and history and, and all the things that we, we love talking about. And next thing we knew we we're standing at the base of the Washington monument, trying to figure out how on earth we were going to get all the way back up to our hotel at the Capitol. <laughs> um, and it was, it was a wonderful time. Uh, and, and Diane and I have had, Tons of wonderful opportunities to to chat since then, um, and she is she is one of my dearest friends, and uh, I am so glad that she has agreed to to help us at the Rural Schools Association in Arizona to to figure out uh, ways to have a positive impact on education policy, um, because she brings so much experience and so much knowledge, uh, and so much heart for the work of uh, trying to make things better, and so. Uh, with that, I, I'd like to 
introduce Diane and give her the opportunity to, to share a little bit about herself and her background. Thank you, Sean, and thank you, Melissa. I am honored for this opportunity, and now I'm exhausted after Sean reminded me about our trek from the Capitol to the Washington Monument, and we did make it back. So uh, that's the good part of the story, but uh, really amazing opportunity for me to be able to do this. A little bit about myself. I am, number one, a mother and a grandmother, and that drives everything I've done especially related to public education. I have been so thankful for the dedicated teachers and staff, uh, clear down to the cafeteria workers and the crossing guard people who spend their time working with my children and our children. Uh, I've always been an ardent supporter for public education and believe that every student can succeed. Um, so that kind of drives everything I've done in my career path, uh, because I spent many years working in the legislature. So don't panic people, but uh, I survived <laughs> it. I actually started at the legislature in 1979, and I worked two years in the chief clerk's office and two years in the Senate secretary's office, which gave me my firm foundation of the process. And what a lot of people focus on is the political side. But as you're working in an advocacy role, you have to really understand the process and the people. So those that gave me a really good start. And I had worked in a couple other positions um, at the legislature also. Uh, the other part of my experience was uh, I worked with a local architectural firm who built school facilities across Arizona. So when I first started talking to people, they're like, well, how do you know anything about Yuma? How do you know anything about Page? Well, it's because the architectural firm I worked with built schools in all of those areas. And so I was fortunate to work with their um, teams uh, in all of those different areas. So I really worked in depth with uh, school facilities and how a school facilities environment comes together with the learning experience. It, it's not just teaching under a tree. And so there is a definite connection between the two. Uh, one other part of my uh, experience was three years as the Chief of Legislative Services for the Department of Economic Security. And the important piece about that was I just grew and enhanced my knowledge on the services that surround many of our families that we don't think about having to do with housing, childcare, uh, food, safety, all of these issues and how you connect these two. And so that was an amazing experience that again adds to my next opportunity for the last 28 years. And that's working with um, an education association across Arizona with a focus on student academic achievement. And so in uh, during that time, we just worked with everybody, you know, the Department of Ed, the State Board of Ed, universities, community colleges, DES, DHS, all of those agencies that service our families in one way or another. And so I go back to saying, as a devoted mom and grandmother, again, my career path uh, followed my passion for doing what's good for our children. And that's not rhetoric. It's true. 
And everything I do, I try to think of how is that going to, how can I help the administrators, the teachers, the community people? How can we work together to ensure that our students are college and career ready and also lifelong learners? So, Diane, I I didn't realize that you had started at the legislature in 1979. So you have seen a lot of change and growth that has happened here in Arizona since then. How has education policy in Arizona changed during that time? And that's not a short answer, I know. (laughs) Uh, it's, It's really interesting because actually I was at the legislature in 1980 when they did the school finance reform. And at the time, there was literally only a couple people in this entire state that really understood that change in uh, the school finance reform. And I worked right with the staff people, Bob Lockwood, Craig Cormier, Alan McGuire, people that are in some ways still connected. Uh, So I did have that experience also with school finance, which we may talk about later, which may be something we're looking for in the future. Um. What I believe is the why has stayed the same, and that's student success. The why, I think, is the same. What's been shifting is the who and the how. And so the who, meaning, you know, the uh, the teacher shortage started over 10 years ago. This isn't something new. And people just didn't focus on it because it was like, oh, yeah, right. But no, it really was subtle in the way it started. And now it's a like a tsunami just crashing over HR departments and school districts everywhere, and especially in the rural areas. So the who has changed significantly. The t- teachers, their alternative certification, you know, all of these other issues, principals, superintendents. So the who, and even the support people, you know, for our bus drivers, look, how many times do we hear we need bus drivers, you know, whatever. So the who has really changed, um, not necessarily for the good, but we're still kind of fluid in that. The how has also shifted because once the legislature started to really um, meddle in education policy, it has really affected uh, the how things are delivered, how curriculum instruction. And, and it's, in my opinion, it's one of the areas I wish they had stayed out of. You know, uh, they can deal with the budget. But once, and this, this started clear back with um, uh, phonics and whole reading. That's when they first got involved in deciding what should be best in the school districts that you guys you know, are a part of. So all of the shifting with the online, the hybrid, we've had that for probably five or 10 years, but then the pandemic, again, brought out different areas. So I think that the, you know, the why is still the same, what your focus is, what everybody on this uh, podcast knows, you want what's best for your students, but the who and the and the how, with that shifting, you know, we used to say uh, there was, you lose 30% of your teachers in the first three years, 50% in the first five years. That statistic hasn't changed. What's changed? There used to be 100 applicants for every opening. Now you're lucky if you have two or three 
and then they may not be qualified. So I would say that's what I've seen change over the last 30 years. So it's interesting, you know, you talk about the why, and and that is so, you know, so fundamental. You know, we all know why we we want schools to to be successful and what, what we want schools to do. Um, and when we talk to to people, whether it's you know educators or people in the legislature, you know, everybody wants schools to be successful. Um, but you're right that, that they differ on how how we're going to measure that success. One of the things that that also seems to changed is our capacity to achieve that why. Um, as we've seen, Lisa, that the teacher shortage, um, which has really yeah, over the last 10 years become critical in Arizona, I would say even 25 years ago, it was a problem in many of the rural parts of the state. But there's there seems to be a tendency in in Maricopa County, in the, you know, the great state of, of Phoenix, um, to, to see rural Arizona as, well, that's that's just you know, Phoenix light, you know, we, we, we know what happens in, in Pinal County or Mojave County. It's, it's just like what happens in Phoenix. It's just, there aren't as many people there. And, and that's so, so far from the truth. Um, so, you know, in your experience, I mean, how, how can rural education leaders best contribute to, you know, helping people understand what, what rural is, in places like Parker and St. John's and Bisbee, Arizona? Well, uh, I'm, I'm going to say something that I say all the time, and it's called, it sounds simple, but it's relationships. It's relationships, relationships, relationships. And in the rural communities, uh, which, by the way, I have a love for because my grandparents had a farm in uh, rural Pennsylvania. So I, uh, my heart is with the rural communities, just again, from my, from my background and seeing what they would go through. Um, but because you all wear so many hats, it makes it more difficult, but it is just critical to build the relationships in your communities, with your business community, with your, um, you know, going to Rotary, Kiwanis, Lions, you know, um, your local chamber of commerce, and then tell your story. And what I like to suggest to people is put together a one pager on your district. And I'm talking one pager because most people you're going to give it to, even though they learned how to read, they don't want to. So bullet points are a lot better than a verbiage or a paragraph. But put together a one-pager on what are your successes? What are your challenges? Limit it to one or two. Don't go into the scope of everything. And then talk about your collaboration efforts. And as you build your one-page document, that is your roadmap to whomever you're talking to. And then they get to learn about what's going on in your district. And I will tell you, the influence on your rural legislators will just double, triple, quadruple, uh, because then they're not thinking about Maricopa County and what's happening there because they have more money than they need to. You know, you really need to build those relationships and then help get the business community to help tell your story. But they have to know what your story is. And it has to be specific. Um 
And with all due respect, don't get off onto charters or ESAs or whatever. Those are issues that somebody else, uh, you know, is going to be dealing with. But right now, for the rural school leaders, I think you can do a lot of the work in your own communities and, uh, and that builds that capacity of what actually is happening. And then when you talk to your legislators, Republican and Democrat can't leave out anybody, you know, cause, you know, some of the Democrats don't understand either, but then you build that capacity of what's happening in your local area. And then it, it moves you away from the state of Maricopa. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. Thank you to Trainual for sponsoring The Rural Scoop. Trainual is the number one software for process documentation and employee manuals. It puts everything into one simple, searchable system that is easy to navigate, is clearly organized, and is simple to access. It's perfect for schools and even entire school systems. Trainual can also help your continuation plans as well. For example, your chemistry teacher can log how they've organized the storage room, making it easier for the next person who takes that job. Listeners of The Rural Scoop get 10% off their first 12 months by using offer code RURALSCOOP. When you sign up for your free trial, just enter Rural Scoop one word, as a promo code, and it'll automatically apply. Just go to trainual.com to get started. So, Diane, I agree that relationship building is foundational to any advocacy efforts or any relationship that you're putting in place with your influencers in your community or policymakers that represent you. That's got to be number one on any school leader's plate. Um, But right now, there are a lot of things going on in Arizona. (laughs) You have the aggregate expenditure limit. You have what's happening with the school facilities board. You have... Um, potential concerns around school funding. Uh, you have the Esser cliff that's happening in a year. But beyond that, is there anything in particular that you can recommend that rural leaders are paying attention to or things that they may want to ensure that they are at least knowledgeable about as we move forward into a new legislative session in January? Yes, and it's critical that you can maintain a consensus as much as possible as an organization. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody believes the same thing, just like every student is different. Um, but as you build a consensus, it helps to have a foundation. And then each of the individual districts may have, you know, individual issues to deal with. But Yes, I think some of the things that we have to really, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the teacher shortage, but we haven't fixed it. And we just, I think we keep making it worse because we keep diluting and diluting and diluting. And somehow we need to get back onto a specific focus. My my idea would be, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, the legislators gave the community colleges the authority now to do a four-year degree. And we know many of the um, students in your districts, they may not get to ASU, U of A, NAU, 
or uh, a college outside of Arizona. So building that capacity and start finding out, you know, what those local community colleges are doing. I mean, again, specifically how they're, they, they should be just at the point of starting to implement what they've been putting together for the last two years. And I know different community colleges have different focuses, but that's that's a major area. The other major area that I think the rules have in common is the school facilities issues. Mm-hmm. Totally different. Again, you know, uh, you, you have a contractor that's going to go to a Maricopa County School District or they're going to drive to Pima Unified in Graham County, you know. And so I think that your the our I'm going to say our organization because I'm working with you now. Our organization has a really great opportunity right now to look at some of the issues on rebuild, uh, redesign. You know, there's things that the school facilities board can do that may not cost a lot of money. There's some things they can do that's going to cost a lot of money. But I think that's a huge issue for the uh, rural leaders, you know, to to focus on. Um, The AEL, a long-term fix, I will share that there's a small group of superintendents that are working together and trying to do some background information on how we may be able to address that. So when we're ready to share that, and we're hoping to do that pretty quickly, uh, then again, it's like in the rural communities, schools came together on the billion dollars, one B billion dollars that we got two years ago that people said would never happen. And the rural educators had a huge influence on that because they participated. And again, not everybody believes in, you know, ABC. But if you can believe in the package of ABC, uh, so those those are a couple areas. Um, uh, I, I'm trying to oh transportation. That's another area that the rurals could come together on. See how you can start developing. I always say three to five, three to five. You've picked three to five issues and focus on it because otherwise you scatter shot. And you don't do anything. So I don't know if that's what you were looking for, um, Melissa, but I think those are key issues that the rules will, I'm not saying can, they will have influence with legislators and with the governor in the next session. So, you know, it, it, it almost seems backwards to, to do it this way, but, we, but while, while we we're clearly conscious of what's what's coming up, you know, we also, we just got to the end of a very, very long session, um, you know, and so I know, I know a lot of people are like, oh, God, are you serious? You want to start thinking about the next session now? We just got done with, you know, <laughs> the longest in Arizona's history. <laughs> what what are some of the things that came out of that session, though, that really are important for, for our rural education leaders to be be conscious of? Budget, budget, and budget. Uh, the budget was done, which everybody forgets, on May 11th. And then normally we all cheer and they sign a die and go away until next year, which didn't happen this year. But the budget, uh, although there are legislators on both sides of the aisle, Republican and Democrat, that may not have been as happy with the budget, the budget, uh, I've been doing this for a lot of years, uh, 
the budget was a better compromise than we could have even anticipated. So there are a lot of things in this budget. We got additional uh, district additional assistance, which was more than they had even proposed. Um, we got extra inflation dollars. We got like $300 million for people to be able to utilize. But uh, And then the other thing about this legislative session, and we do have to give the governor a lot of credit for that, she vetoed a lot of bad things. There were a lot of things that would have been very problematic for the public education uh, arena, including, you know, the rural areas. And uh, she was able to veto those. They may come up again, but the budget held a lot more school facilities. You know, they were able to get more money, which is going to, uh, you know, help. Now, the rurals needed to, you know, demolish and rebuild, or they need, you know, and and I know, Sean, you're a good example of what you're doing, you know, in your school district. Uh, but there were a lot of good things that came out of this budget that we need to focus on, even things that I look at outside education, but impact education. So the money that went to the housing, I mean, we have a housing crisis everywhere, everywhere. And it's not just for teachers, it's actually for the people in your community. So that was a really a good positive. Um, so there were a lot of things this session, I think, that were positive. It was an exhausting session. And the reason it was so long is just because they didn't work. You know, they took weeks off. I, like I said, I've been around since 1979. That's never happened. We have never gone beyond June 30th. And we never took breaks like this. But um, with a new governor and a new Democratic governor working with a Republican legislature, uh, a lot more good things happened that I think people want to uh, focus on. So I'm going to shift our topic around here a little bit and focus on the uh, annual conference that the Arizona Rural Schools Association puts on every fall in Flagstaff. And that's going to be coming up this September. And uh, we're going to be doing something a little bit different at that conference uh, with launching a pre-conference. And Sean, if you could give us a little bit of background on what we're going to be talking about during that pre-conference and the reasons behind it, and then how we're going to be involving Diane. Thank you, Melissa. Um, so so the goal of, of the pre-conference is to generate a a consensus set of priorities to, to be able to say these these are the things that ARSA members care about, that there are important policy issues uh, for educators in rural Arizona. And in years past, um, that the process for developing those uh, has has been pretty pretty weak. Uh, it's it's been very leader driven. Um, as opposed to being member driven. Mm -hmm. And I feel that, you know, if, if we want to build our capacity as an organization, uh, to, to really, you know, A, help members, but, but B, there, there also are maybe steps that, that we need to take where, where leadership of the association steps in, um, to, to strongly try to influence policy. Uh, and, and if we have a, a good process to get there, then what we, can take to the legislators is 
is clear. Um, and, and we don't have to deal with a lot of second guessing on, you know, where it came from. Um, so towards that end, uh, we're going to take three hours uh, between when golf gets over and <laughs> Thursday morning. Um, and, and if you're, if you're a, an Arizona rural educator and you want to participate in the, the rural school associations, annual golf tournament, you, you need to let us know because we always have a hard time finding enough uh, education leaders to participate. You don't have to be a great golfer. Um, it's a, I'm not a, the best ball tournament. And really what, what our vendors that participate want is an opportunity to spend some hours uh, out in a, in a beautiful environment, uh, just interacting with, with leaders from, from rural schools. So <clears throat> there's my pitch for the golf tournament. Um, Good job. But, but then after we get back and have a chance to, to clean up and, and get a, a cool beverage um, at three o'clock, we're going to get together in the Ponderosa room. Uh, and we're going to, it's a two part thing between three and six. Part one will involve uh, getting some background information on education policy in Arizona, education policy around the nation, kind of help us to have a clear sense, a shared sense within the room of, of what the landscape is. Uh, and then part two involves, you know, kind of looking at, at possible priorities and then building building a, a consensus around what what the process or what what do we really care about? What are the things that we can say, you know what, this we're all on the same page. Because part of the problem with with doing that it, for an association like the Arizona Rural Schools Association is that what is a big deal in Yuma and what's a big deal in in uh, you know red red Mesa, I mean, and if you don't know Arizona, one is in the far northeast and the others in the far southwest and they're about as far apart as chicago and boston um and so so you know we we have wild wildly diverging interests um within our organization and so we don't want to take a position where the association says hey this is this is what's good for rural schools and somebody in in st david says well, that's not what's in my school's best interest, because then when they go and talk to their legislator, they're saying, yeah, I know that's what the association says, but let me tell you why that's bad for my school district. And, and that hurts our voice um, and it hurts our effectiveness. And so we, that's why we want to do this thing. We want to take three hours on Thursday. We want to build some priorities that, that we have a high level of consensus about. We're hoping to get good representation from around the state. Um, we know that we, you know, we've got the, the, you know, same 20 people um, that participate in the, the monthly uh, pod or uh, webinars. And, and we, we hope to see a lot of them, but we also hope to see some new faces mm -hmm. because this is a great opportunity uh, for us to build something that, that will really <clears throat> enhance uh, the Arizona rural schools associations capacity to, to, to move things forward. Um, and, and a lot of what's, what's going to help us to be effective in doing that is, is being able to bring Diane into the room. Um, because, you know, she, she's a great resource for our members. She's a great resource in any conversation about those topics, uh, to help us 
see different perspectives and 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 also really hone in on, on what are the things that are likely to to need attention. So, mm-hmm. so and the other thing too, Sean, I think is important that Diane brings to the conversation is a lot of the background. What has happened in the past? Where did those issues come from? Why are there challenges that are still hanging around? And uh, she can speak to a lot of the the backstory behind things that we're still grappling with today. Exactly, exactly. And it also helps us to set the stage because um, one of one of the things that the association is hoping to accomplish by bringing you know a policy expert on board is is being able to enhance what's always been our goal. Um, I mean, going back to when I we first created the policy. Uh, coordinator or the advocacy coordinator position mm-hmm. uh, five years ago, six years ago, you know, the goal was to provide information to members about the policy issues that are on the table so that they can then best represent the di- interests of their district. And and this conversation, you know, while there may be things that we identify as priorities, there may be things we identify that we say, you know what, we're not all on the same page, but we're all concerned. And we all want to, you know, we're all going to need to be active. Um, and over the next the next year, the support for that activity is going to come from Diane. Um, and so, you know, maybe Diane, you could you could speak a little bit to um, what what members can expect to see as far as information um, about about policy issues and, and advocacy. Thank you. Um- I'm very excited about that because um, inform- uh, relationships are key and information is key. Uh, one of the things that I think I've been known for over many years is uh, timely information and accurate information, and I don't do spin. So if you're looking for spin on political issues, you you know usually go to somebody else because I'm pretty fact-driven uh, because I know you guys have so many emails and so many you know, you just have so much on your plate. You want to know what are the facts, ma'am, you know? Um, And so what I do is I do a legislative report that I've done for many, many, many years uh, that I read all the bills that are moving. I read the amendments. I work them in because I know how to do that. And then give you a, I try to address the issue that you might be thinking about and not just a summary of the bill that, anybody would want to read. And so I spend a lot of time on that, and I am hoping that will be a tool that will be helpful. Uh, I'm going to try to not overload you with a lot of new information. But again, I think for the rural uh, leaders, the more you can know about the process and feel like you're... I I love Sean's word about the process, because the process of the legislature, the process of building your consensus document, processes are really important so that all voices are heard. And that's another thing that I am just adamant about. I don't work with just one or two different people. I believe if everybody is on the same page, getting the same information, it helps the end result. So what I'm hoping to do is to uh, make available to everybody uh, you know, when some of the bills are coming up that we may be concerned about and, uh, you know, especially with appropriations. And, and I think the, what, uh, Melissa and 
and Sean are doing with this pre-meeting, this three-hour meeting, I think is going to be awesome because I think it allows you guys to, you know, the uh, the members, the key members, because ARSA is made up of members, not you know, it's not just a name, it's members. And if that gives you guys, and you may have something that wouldn't necessarily get on a list or another one that I always bring up is special ed costs. You know, a couple of years ago, they're like, oh, we're never going to get that. Well, we know that if we increase special ed costs, it gives you money that you don't have to transfer from your regular education cost. And so you may have an issue that you don't think other people have, but like transportation, you talk about your transportation and then everybody says, oh, okay, that's an issue that maybe we hadn't thought about. So I think this this three-hour opportunity of this pre-meeting is really going to encourage the um, ARSA members to attend and feel just feel empowered to bring up what they think would be good and and then I'm going to take whatever you guys give me from the leadership team as a direction. But then on top of that, I'm still following like 99 other bills that could be important or not important. But uh, so those are some of the tools that I look at putting together and whatever, you know, you guys want me to do. And I'm available to talk to people. Um, I have been around a long time. So I do have, you know, some background and perspective, which sometimes is important. Sometimes it's not, but uh, I hope that answers your question, Sean. You know, it answers my question beautifully, but <laughs> thank you. It's uh, it's interesting because, you know, you, you talk about the experience. We talk about the experience. And, and one of the things that, that you bring to the table is, you know, a, a ton of experience. And what, what we hope membership will recognize in that is that, you know, that helps because you'll see things coming down the pike and you'll recognize where where they could be headed and how that can affect schools you know even when they're something that that a, a novice policy person might look at and say I don't I don't know what I don't know what that has to do with my school you know you talk about the housing housing issues um you know, we we saw tons of money for for housing. We saw money for teacherage housing. We saw grants for those kinds of things. You know, they they affect what we're trying to do. Um, you know, and so I think that that's part of what. You well, know, when when you provide that legislative update, and I've enjoyed receiving that for for years now because it it does provide a breadth of information about what are the things going on that, that is helpful. Um, I think a lot of the information that associations um, provide to membership uh, is, is very forensic. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's about what happened. Hey, let me tell you about what passed. Let me tell you, about, but it doesn't provide the same level of insight and it doesn't provide the same, you know, kind of follow up. Um, that that your reports have provided, and that's that's part of what I really think would be a benefit to to our members in in Arizona, because you know they they want to know they want actionable information. They don't just want they don't just want to know what what's in the rearview mirror. They want to know 
what's coming, what's ahead as they try to move down the road. Um, and and when when possible, what what are the things that they can do to to avoid? Um, like you said, I mean, policies that can be very hard on on rural uh, rural schools and, and those trying to run them. So, uh, so thank you, uh, Matt. So one of the other things that we're going to be doing differently this upcoming year is to ensure that our rural leaders have some comfort around how to operate within that process that Sean and Diane have been talking about. And, and so many of our new newly seated uh, leadership in our rural communities may not have had experience with advocating for their rural district. And so we are going to be putting together a winter advocacy workshop that we we're planning on having in January. We've scheduled um, January 19th uh, with a networking reception on January 18th. That's Thursday and Friday. And we know that rural leaders may have to travel to um, <laughs> to get to Phoenix. And so we want to make sure that we're giving you plenty of time to get there. Um, and we'll put out more information as it becomes available and we finalize our plans on the where and the when and and all of that. But Diane, one of the things that you and I were talking about was making sure that those rural leaders have some uh, tools and some resources and some knowledge on how to start building relationships, how to how to read uh, a bill, how to make sure that they're comfortable with the request to speak system, all of those things that they may not be familiar with, or they may want just to refine their skills and make sure that they're spot on when they're talking to their their policymakers. So can you talk a little bit about uh, what we would be doing and, and the information that we'd be sharing in that winter workshop? Absolutely. I think that's a a brilliant idea and a great timing because we will just have had the governor's state of the state uh, address when the legislature starts, and we will already have her proposed budget, um, and which was intentional when mm-hmm. uh, Melissa and Sean and them looked at dates. And the and again, uh, back to the information, um, I try to make it readable. So like I'll take a budget proposal that could be huge and I try to, again, do it line by line. Bullets are my best friends because I know even when I'm talking to legislators or staff, because I spend a lot of time with staff, bullet points are really good. So what I'm hoping too is as I build my relationships with all of you, um, that, that I can help you uh, develop talking points. Some of them may be common talking points. Uh, some of them may be specific, but as we see, and we're hoping to have some maybe insight on where the governor is going to go before January, but by then we'll know what her major priorities are. We'll know what the Republican priorities are. And remember, we have this little thing called an election mm-hmm. in November of 2024. And so, and the other thing that Again, I try to keep people in perspective. Um, there's not going to be a lot of money this year. And so oftentimes we think, well, if we can't get more money, it's not going to help. 
That's not really true. I think there's things. Um, one thing I wanted to bring out that ARSA has been a leader at, and that's the final mile and how they've worked at both the state level and the national level, because that is critical for the rural districts to have that access for for parents, for teachers, for the schools, for the students, everything. And that's not finished. That has a long way to go. And so, uh, again, the, the meeting at the conference will start developing some of those things that maybe we can present to the governor and then hoping some of them might be interstate of the state address. And then when that, that comes out, we can say, okay, let's take what the majority party, what they're looking at, what the governor's looking at, and what are two or three or four things that that through the Rural Schools Association, and then I will help do, I have all kinds of presentations and documents on, you know, how to follow the legislative website. I'm hoping you won't have to do that. I can do that for you. But if you want me to, uh, I just have been around for so long and uh, really work with a lot of people. And I want hope to expand the capacity of the Rural Schools Association, because I also work with the State Board of Ed and the Department of Ed and those and the School Facilities Board. And those all overlap with what's maybe happening with policy and budget issues. So I'm hoping by that winter conference, then we can start honing in on what are our focuses. Because again, you know, there's a lot of things going on, but we don't have time. And then maybe, you know, these four superintendents deal on this issue and these other three superintendents, you know, you you divide and conquer as you're dealing with legislators and, and the governor's office. So you're not just looking at one person. Well, we need them to say yes or no, because we still have the one vote vote. Um, uh, at the legislature to kill something or make it pass. But I think if we, everyone comes together and figures out what is their area of expertise, and then I will do whatever I can to help empower information so that we can cover a lot of areas, but still accomplish something and, and not just be against everything. What can we be for? Uh, and and we know that school finance is going to come up because it comes up every year. And at some point, school finance is going to be a major priority and uh, it could yeah. be soon. So those are some of the things I would like to do to help to build the capacity for people maybe that haven't done this before. And even people that have, I can, you know, maybe, uh, you know, improve upon it or give them information that they that may be new that may be helpful. I'm I'm just a really good bridge builder. Yes, you are. And I and I so much appreciate that about you. Um and and I want to say thank you uh to Melissa um for for you know giving us giving us the time here on her podcast. Uh, I I love listening to the rural scoop. Um and oh, I, thanks. I appreciate the opportunity to to share um and, and introduce my friend uh, Diane, to to your listeners um, and to to the ARSA membership that that also you know participate and, li and listen to this. Uh, I, I think we've got we're on the cusp of doing some great things. Uh, I, I, Diane, I, I'll give you the final word. Um, which people who I mean, Melissa will tell you I don't do that often. I, I like no word of luck, but um, 
but is there is there anything is there anything else that that you want to that you want to throw out there that you want people to know as we as we wrap this up but thank you thank you so much oh i Thank you for that opportunity. And I will just tell you, I am, I'm very honored and excited to work with this organization and with the members. I think the only thing I would wrap up is use me, uh, for information. Sure. I am just willing to be there to help. And, uh, again, I build the bridge with people. Um, there are times that I, May not, you know, I know a lot of people want to jump on the ESA bandwagon, and I get that. It's an easy topic. But as if we spend all of our energy over there, then we may miss a positive opportunity to get increased funding for special ed costs and gifted programs that would be great. So I try to stay really balanced in that and just just know that I have a heart to the rural communities and Again, my focus as a mom and a grandma is have the best public education system we can have so our kids are college and career ready and ready for lifelong learning. We don't want it to stop once they get, you know, in the university or get a career. It's lifelong learning because if we stop growing and stop learning, then we're just stagnant. And I see this organization as just you know, building on the progress you've already had. And I hope I can be a part of enhancing it if possible. Well, and to that end, uh, both of you, we're going to have to do this again. So uh, I hope that you'll continue to, uh, (laughs) Sean's rolling his eyes. I hope that you'll continue to make sure that you um, not only are uh, setting some groundwork for uh, what we're going to be doing in the upcoming months with the uh, pre-conference and the winter workshop. But really, I want to have both of you back so that we can continue to make sure that our ARSA membership is informed about what's going on. And a podcast is a very easy way to do that. So thank you both for being my guest today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to The Rural Scoop. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe, or even leave us a comment. And be sure to follow on Twitter at Dr. Sadorf. That's D-R underscore S-A-D-O-R-F so that you never miss a new release. You can also check out previous episodes of The Scoop wherever you get your podcasts. Production support for The Rural Scoop is provided by Chattanooga Podcast Studios. Find out more at ChattanoogaPodcastStudios.com. See you next time for more great discussions about rural education. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.